Welcome to On DoD on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jared Serbu. And glad you're with us this week. Later on in the program, the Army has a brand new strategy for how it'll operate and modernize its installations between now and 2035. Alex Beeler, the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Energy, Installations, and Environment, will join us to lay out the details. First up, though, the Navy Department is making some big changes to how it buys and uses commercial cloud computing services. Senior acquisition and IT leaders signed out a brand new cloud policy last month. Maybe the most notable change in the new policy is a more centralized approach to cloud. Within the next few months, all the Navy and Marine Corps' cloud purchases will be funneled through a single marketplace. Program managers won't be allowed to use their own contracts to buy cloud anymore. To talk about the new policy, we have two guests with us, both from the Navy's Program Executive Office for Digital and Enterprise Services, which will play a pivotal role in implementing the changes we're going to talk about. Travis Methvin is the Program Manager for the Naval Commercial Cloud Services Office, and Ruth Youngs-Lou begins our conversation. She is the Program Executive Officer for PEO Digital. Hey, Jared. Well, thank you very much for uh, giving this opportunity to share um, our role with this new uh, Dawn Cloud policy. So the Dawn Cloud policy was updated to provide for accelerated promotion, acquisition, and consumption of cloud services in the Dawn in direct support of the Dawn Information Superiority Vision and Dawn Cloud or DoD Cloud Strategy. To maintain our global strategic posture, the Dawn must leverage the inherited advantages of cloud technologies to modernize our enterprise IT infrastructure. So this, this uh, cloud policy documents then where the Dawn is going with, uh, with cloud as we go forward. So uh, I think we're here to, to share more of the PEO role um, in this policy. Yeah, you bet, and that's that's really where I wanted to focus too. Since since PEO Digital really does such it does have such an integral role to the new policy, and and let's let's just expand on that a little bit for for your organization. What's changing in terms of the way you provide cloud support services to the to the broader Don? I think one of the the big things that that changes in how we're doing it is is really in the spirit of how this this policy has evolved is, is maturation of how we are as an organization driving to commercial cloud delivery. We, we approached it leveraging a very decentralized model in support of empowered CIOs looking for, for folks to kind of manage their portfolio and look at how they're deploying commercial cloud. And as we've evolved from that, what we've noticed is that you know, that there's opportunities to align to a more centralized deployment model, um, exercising enterprise service managed delivery uh, for things like INOX and things like uh, uh, security uh, uh, principles, as well as leveraging technology uh, where commercial cloud companies have come up to speed in participation in the public sector arena. When we started this uh, two years ago, a big driver uh, was that the commercial cloud companies weren't quite familiar with the DOD arenas and how to participate with DODs, and that has evolved over the last three years. Yeah, when we talk about centralization versus decentralization, it seems to me there's been a little bit of a pendulum swing on that in, in the dawn. As, as you said, a couple years ago, there was a change to, a, I would say, a more decentralized approach where all of the systems commands were allowed to be individual cloud brokers. Prior to that, then PEOEIS was kind of the centralized 
um, cloud broker. There was a cloud store talked about for a while uh, prior to that decentralization. Are we going back to full centralization with one cloud store and one cloud broker, or is this something different? Uh, I would say we never went away from what we refer to as our digital marketplace. That always became the the enabling factor of of a, of a service managed uh, organization explaining to mission owners how they get there. I think the change has really come as as what we saw the cloud brokers evolving from trying to to stand up business operation, create modernization opportunities, and start to build and deploy services. Uh, it just wasn't there. The budget wasn't there. The, the timing wasn't there for them to focus on their portfolio modernization of their portfolios. And this is really part of the overall Dawn strategy of creating that centralization opportunities to focus on some of those key enablements. So I'm one piece in, in PMW 270 of a larger PEO digital strategy from a service managed organization. So you'll see in the cloud policy that it's referred to as the cloud service management office. Well, that is a piece of a larger enterprise services strategy that you'll see more from the Department of Navy in the future. This is acknowledgement of uh, maturing over the last few years for the Department of Navy. I think that the leadership that we have in place in Department of Navy, uh, Mr. Weiss, Ms. Rathbun, um, and those folks have, have really given us the opportunity to start driving and working in more in a modern service delivery model. And, and the cloud policy is a big piece of this, uh, that you really start to see driving um, some of those efficiencies and some of that drive uh, to get us to not only modern service delivery, but uh, delivering and operating like industry. That's interesting. So, so will other Navy organizations still retain authority to procure cloud services, or is that is the acquisition authority all being centralized in the PEO at this point? So, there's a little bit of a hybrid of model mm -hmm. that's going currently underway, but the I, the intent is to decouple cloud services from other contracts that are in uh, Department of Navy today. So, one of the the great lessons that we've learned was cloud was being wrapped up within development contracts and within system integration contracts that really, uh, it provided risk to the Department of Navy of understanding where our data was, where that security, or, or how that security was being implemented. But it also gave us the opportunities to start focusing on other strategic initiatives when we start to think about the data strategy, uh, our INOX framework, and how we're starting to deploy in more of an integrated fashion to support the mission of warfighters. And that includes things like Tactical Edge and, and our work with uh, PEOC4I and, and work on the, the shipboard aside as well. Is part of it, too, getting rid of duplication situations where you might have five different contracts to buy AWS or Azure or, you know, one particular cloud service? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'd say the, the work that uh, my, my counterpart, Chris Pratt, and team have done in PMW 290 to support uh, DOD enterprise agreements, uh, their ESI, ELAs, and, and CETAs is definitely a core principle of where we're trying to get to to, to leverage that better buying power and to leverage that, that cost efficiency, if you will. But it also reduces the amount of time and effort it takes a, an organization to let their own contract if we can focus on uh, enterprise uh, availability of those things. Um, it's also looking at how we support uh, our partnership with DOD, uh, the cloud offices within DOD, and their, and their desire to get to, to enterprise environments. So the, the relationship and the partnership between PEO Digital PMW 270-290 is, is strong with how we're trying to drive towards that defense enterprise cloud environment. Mr. Young-Saloom, let me go back to you, and I'm curious for your take on, on how you think this approach helps PEO Digital itself in its role as 
you know, an IT systems acquirer and builder because you're going to be consuming some of these same cloud services that you're in charge of providing. What, is, what does this do for, for you and all your PMWs? So we are really making a shift within the PEO to be a more service uh, services organization. And while we, we definitely will be leveraging the services and do leverage the services within uh, of what we're providing within our cloud service management organization, this is really the intent here is both for us internally, but for us to provide this service broadly to our naval organizations. So that you know all of the other PEOs, all of the other uh, acquisition and you know, just other general organizations across the, the Navy and Marine Corps will be able to leverage all of the services here. And to the extent, uh, probably back to Travis, to the extent there still are cloud contracts in other parts of the Don, is the intent to roll those into PEO digital responsibility at some point or, or just let them continue out through their period of performance? It's just that you guys are in charge of, of any new ones. So the intent is to to continue to allow, to allow them through their period of performance. The change comes in is uh, leveraging the awareness of where that cloud is and how that cloud is being used to better align with that strategic priority. So if we start to look at things of how we promote those, those enterprise IT services, we have to be cognizant that there's going to be opportunities as those contracts come end of life that things like identity management and zero trust principles are going to start to be implemented as those contracts come to the end. What's the status of the marketplace as of now? You said that's that's you know kind of existed for a couple of years now. In what ways is it changing? What sorts of products are in it today? What do you envision adding to it? Uh, so today, currently, it's it's a it's a cost evaluation, a service uh, delivery framework. I don't want to call it a clearinghouse, but it's it's really the the starting resource for a mission owner. Uh, over the next. I would say four to six months, you're going to start to see uh, the ability to use uh, API-driven self-service deployments, things like infrastructure as code for uh, our, our agreements with Azure and IL2, 4, and uh, 5. Uh, you'll start to see software as a service with our partnership with ServiceNow uh, through a, a, a automated deployment and um, looking at those opportunities to continue industry partnerships of how do we get those automated scripted deployments that allow mission owners to uh, start to work a little bit more efficiently and get to those deployments in, in, in what used to take nine to 12 months for individual applications. We're really trying to reduce the barrier and get it into, you know, in a week's time with uh, inheritance and, and driving to reciprocity and how we're working with other organizations. And, and how about, maybe talk a little bit about the consumption monitoring function of, of this whole marketplace, because, I mean, that's a clear benefit of a little bit more centralization if you guys are able to watch everything. How, how fleshed out is that? How's that, how's that going to work? Uh, so it is definitely in development. There is a, there is a consumption monitoring, and we're working towards the, the CMDB in support of Department of Navy. Uh, initially, we are focusing on, um, uh, like I said, our, our Azure deployments, uh, so that we can start to, to evaluate, one, where cloud spend is going and how that cloud spend is, is, is happening. But again, this starts to, to help us identify that demand signal and where we can start to look to find those, those greater efficiencies working with the digital organization. But initially, it is primarily focused on our infrastructure as code with, with the Azure deployments. 
Travis Methvin is the project manager for the Naval Commercial Cloud Services Office. Also talking with Ruth Youngs Liu, the Navy's program executive officer for digital and enterprise services. They're back with us after a quick break as we talk more about the Navy's new commercial cloud computing policy. This is on DOD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serby. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. And we're talking with Travis Methvin, the project manager for the Naval Commercial Cloud Services Office, and Ruth Youngs Liu, the Navy's program executive officer for digital and enterprise services, about the Navy's new commercial cloud policy. As we've been discussing, one major feature of that policy is it'll route all of the Navy and Marine Corps' cloud purchases through a single marketplace run by PEO Digital. Notionally, how how, is, how does this process work? I mean, let's say I'm a mission owner building some new ERP somewhere in the Navy. I, I'm no longer allowed to, to buy my own cloud services as part of that contract, so I've got to go to PEO Digital. How how does that whole transaction play out? So it starts with uh, the mission owner going to to HTTPS cloud.navy.mil. Uh, it's CAC enabled. It allows the mission owner to get in there and start that that uh, journey and understanding where those services are. You use something like uh, SAP or, or uh, ERP services, excuse me, which is an interesting use case because it, it talks about where we're starting to bridge this uh, centralization to the, the, the model of working with uh, our cloud brokers today. So NavAir primarily hosts uh, our ERP and supports that, that activity with uh, cloud deployments. So this really starts them on a journey of where those services are, what that that would cost to to do things of hosting, uh, create that uh, or the costs associated, helps them with that ROM planning, if you will. But it also creates that connecting opportunity in those cases to work with commercial cloud, uh, or with excuse me, with Navy cloud brokers who are providing certain services today. If you wanted to talk about the infrastructure as a code, this primarily focuses on how those mission owners can get to. Um, scripted deployments of how we looked at uh, where those services would be deployed for applications such as you know three-tiered web web applications that are very scripted and deployed to get them into a sandboxed environment and it starts a workflow that uh, we start to get the awareness of, of how uh, the funding is where that funding's coming from what the the usage and demand and where those uh, authorizing folks within their organization allow them to to have awareness of where those commercial cloud deployments are. Um, you've mentioned infrastructure as code a couple times. Can you just briefly give us, uh, give our listeners a description of what, what infrastructure as a code means as the Navy understands it and, and how mature your capability is, you think, to, to deploy something like or, or realize a concept like infrastructure as code? So infrastructure as code primarily uh, is, is a scripted deployment that allows capacity from a commercial cloud to have uh, the attributes and, and uh, security requirements built into uh, th those deployment models. Uh, the big uh, or big key attribute that we added in was we call it more of an infrastructure as code plus because one of the things that we looked at was making sure that we could uh, support the uh, IP security uh, identity uh, challenges that many mission owners are going to face. And this helped us stay aligned with where we are going uh, with some of our identity uh, uh, activities. 
I would say where we are in the maturity element for uh, an infrastructure as code deployment is, um, I, I would say we're definitely in the walk phase. It's something that is going to grow and mature as, as not only Department of Navy becomes more familiar, but also as DOD and, and uh, larger strategic initiatives, things like Zero Trust and how those principles come in. This is going to be the model of how we scale and how we scale it uh, with that compliancy and with that uh, availability of information that allows us to get there. Because we can't keep going uh, touch labor to get to how we, we you know, and I, I just had this interesting conversation about ITIL principles of how we, you know, traditionally uh, do cloud deployments or infrastructure deployments is, is it's very ticketed oriented. It's very uh, team oriented where we hand off. And what we're really trying to do is consolidate that and I see that growing more and more as we, we start to align to uh, greater enterprise availability of services, not only through digital, but also, like I said, through DOD. So if, if we start to think about cloud assets as one controllable infrastructure, is, is that difficult when you're working with multiple different cloud providers or consuming services from multiple different cloud providers? Uh, I don't think it. I don't think it becomes difficult. I think it's the the variations that we've we've implemented in the Navy over uh, the past decade of how we've created that that convoluted deployment methodology. I think mm. when you start to look at commercial cloud from uh, the availability of services and and how those services are deployed, it's really something that we could start to reduce that variation to help other things that we didn't know at the time were probably not industry best practices for how we were doing a very decentralized IT deployment. Um, I think it helps clean up some of that mess. It helps, uh, and even in a multi-cloud environment, it still gives us that opportunity as long as we focus on the core services that, that we're looking at, identity being obviously a huge one and helping mission owners get to those things. We have to get out of the duplication of, of um, where we traditionally were doing managed service offerings or applications were bringing those services on their own. And, and does that also get to an, another um, aspect of the memo, which also which calls on PEO Digital to work with Fleet Cybercom to build a, a command and control structure for all the cloud assets? Is, is that something that would also require you to have one coherent, cohesive view into all your cloud assets? Uh, absolutely, and that's and that's one of the things is 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 focusing on you know MVP deployments and how we are targeting support for uh, fleet fleet cybers INOC delivery. Uh, the big thing was focusing on how we could get them availability and awareness of where Navy workload or Department of Navy workloads were, and that focus and that drive really drives us to tenancy models and it supports other things like we're doing with 365 and where we're other. We're doing other cloud adjacent things, but this really helps drive to support those strategic initiatives like the command and control and INOC principles. Um, also on the security piece, the, the, the memo talks about reciprocity as well, which is probably going to be pretty important considering I, I think you're going to have a lot of availability for, for cloud contracts that are not Navy contracts in the uh, marketplace, right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, currently on our digital marketplace today, we have strong partnerships with uh, not only DISA, but also the Air Force and Army um, uh, cloud hosting environments or Cloud One. Uh, we work with Platform One looking at the reciprocity supporting that. Um, the, the, the benefit that I've seen or I've been able to experience over the past few months is, is our unification efforts with the Marine Corps. A strong relationship with Ken Bible and the team, General Maylock and the team has is, is really provided us some great opportunities 
to really express some of that reciprocity, even in that blue and supportive green where we talk about the dawn specifically. What have you seen from that? Is it mostly time savings and can you give us a sense of what kind of benefits you've seen out of that particular reciprocity example? I think Ruth has, probably has some some real-time examples of what we're seeing with the, the Ardeas program and what we're seeing with some of the uh, pipeline uh, support. It's not only a, a time savings, but it also, um, there's a development savings as well when we don't have to um, continue to develop uh, over and over and over, repeat the work when we know it's something that's going to have to traverse back to a Navy platform. But and that's where really where we're seeing not only uh, a time savings, but but also a cost and a development savings. Right, and just just to build on the Ardeus example, that that's one particular program within another PEO, um, but they are absolutely leveraging the uh, McBoss pipeline um, to get speed to you know get the, uh, through the development process much faster. And so they did a complete analysis walked through what the different options were and then chose that path, which is the first of where we're actually taking a Navy program then and putting it through um, through the Marine Corps pipeline there. This is kind of a kind of a side question, um, Travis, but there, there's an explicit exemption in the memo for cloud services that are not going to receive process store or display DoD information. I'm having trouble thinking of what an example of that would be and why you would be buying cloud services that aren't going to contain DoD information. So one of the things that, that we've, we've grown to understand is the, the distinction between subscription-based services and uh, software as a service. And so that's really was our attempt at having that conversation of things that would be subscription that are not housing Navy data that may not necessarily need to flow through a commercial cloud office or have that uh, restriction placed upon it. Huh. I guess I still don't get it. Like, what, what would that software as a service offering be? I mean, it would... It would if it's not processing or storing DOD data, why is DOD buying it or why is the Navy buying it? Uh, so some of the examples that we've seen to date are um, like resume search engines that allow folks to give us that subscription-based information that we're not housing specific data on there, but we're receiving their services. So it's subscription-based services versus uh, software as a service, and that's why we built that in. Travis Methvin is the project manager for the Naval Commercial Cloud Services Office, and we were also joined by Ruth Youngs-Liu, the Navy's program executive officer for digital and enterprise services, to talk about the Navy's brand new cloud policy. We'll post a link to the policy itself at federalnewsnetwork.com slash on DOD. Another short break, and when we come back, the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Energy, Installations, and Environment joins us to talk about that service's new installation strategy. That's next on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is On DOD. I'm Jared Serving. What's best for you and your federal career? And what comes next? Your turn with Mike Causey. Search your turn. Thanks for listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is On DoD. I'm Jared Serbu. The Army is rethinking a lot of old notions. It's already launched a people strategy that puts a new and larger emphasis on soldier work-life balance. Now the Army's out with an installation strategy. That plan also upends previous Army thinking about bases and facilities. Alex Beeler is the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Installations, Energy, and Environment. He talked about the new plan with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. Earlier uh, in the last couple years, 
the leaders in their effort to transform the Army set out top priorities that included uh, people, modernization, and readiness. And in that regard, the Army senior leaders had previously supported and approved Army strategies for modernization and people. And as Chief McConville has, has written relatively recently, uh, and I'm quoting here, installations must be in a position to allow the Army to do its job. As we transform the Army, we have to transform installations along with it. That, in a nutshell, is why we need at this time and why the Army senior leaders approve uh, an Army installation strategy. How does this fit in with the Army's goals as a whole? The whole role of installations are and have become strategic readiness platforms for training, mobilization, and deployment. Thus, they are critical warfighting enablers of the Army. The installation strategy recognizes this important fact and thus helps the Army leaders to embrace a change narrative from that of something that in the past had been relatively static and removed, if you will, from the, the thrust of the Army going into any kind of fight or into a new cultural norm with installations, if you will, at the starting gate, where every mission starts and is sustained. And how is this different from past installation plans that you've used? First and foremost, it's the first Army enterprise-wide strategy that identifies need for modernized, resilient, and sustainable installations. How best, basically, to move forward to support what we what we call the multi-domain ready uh, force for the next 15 plus years. Uh, given this recognized enhanced role, then how Army installations execute services and systems can best be protected from adverse adversarial attacks and uh, climate change and environmental degradation. So that is the significance. That is how things differ from anything else the Army has attempted in this past. Uh, uh, past plans were really pretty much uh, within the installations, energy and environment if you will, portfolio and scope. This strategy not only has the support and approval of the three Army senior leaders, but also all of the generals of the, uh, of the landed commands. We received over comments from over 150 different Army leaders throughout the enterprise. So this really is a, a concerted effort 
that is was deliberately done to draw in everybody of significance within the army and therefore we're very hopeful that this really will uh jumpstart a uh, a cultural sea change into how all levels of the army look at the role of the installations and finally in response i should say that the strategy is definitely uh, in sync with the earlier strategies that I mentioned of modernization and people. In fact, the people army uh, people strategy that was approved and signed off in 2019 uh, certainly was an inspiration for our office and a very effective guide on how to uh, put forth the Army uh, installation strategy and get buy-in and approval across the enterprise. So there's three things that really stood out to me in this strategy. One is that there's a focus on technology. Two is that there's a huge focus on people. And then the third is that there's a focus on how the homeland is no longer a safe sanctuary for the Defense Department and for the Army. So, you know, if you could just talk a little bit to each of those, and especially that last one there. You've alluded to the uh, National Defense Strategy comment of a couple years ago that the homeland is no longer um, a sanctuary for the United States. And so with that uh, mantra in mind, we view the Army installation strategy, and this is from the strategy, which is the fence line is now the front line. And so what that means to us from an installation standpoint is, on the one hand, installations are now more vital than ever to mission success. As I mentioned earlier, it's where we, we train mobilize and deploy. It's in effect where um, we are the starting gate and we are the sustaining function of missions that are carried out. So we're more engaged, if you will, from a positive standpoint in mission success and therefore the Army's success. And conversely, Um, we are more exposed to uh, a whole host of threats, and I guess you could put them in two broad categories. One is what we like to uh, describe as near-peer power threats, and that could be whether it's from China or Russia or any other potential adversary. Um, It's that would include things like cybersecurity threats. Um, and then the second is more from a um, natural standpoint, climate change, which once again is specifically mentioned in the strategy. That's a very important component of what we want the installations to be focused on. And also, of course, always environmental degradation. 
Alex Beeler is the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Installations, Energy, and Environment. More of his conversation with Scott Massioni about the Army's new installation strategy after one more break. This is On DoD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbian. Wisdom served daily. Experience the difference of the journalists at Federal News Network. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, I'm Jared Serbu. This is on DOD. As we return to our conversation with Alex Beeler, the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Installations, Energy, and Environment, he talked about the Army's new strategy for installations through 2035 with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. Over the past two years, the Army has been dealing with issues within privatized military housing. The main issue has been that there has been mold, lead paint, mice, and other problems within these households, and families feel like they can't find their voice or they can't be heard from the leaders of the service when they do have issues. How does this plan take into account the individual soldiers, their families, and their importance, especially when you're looking at the Army's people strategy, which tries to add a little bit more uh, credence to what soldiers think and what they need throughout a career. So what does this plan do to really address their concerns? Our most valuable asset are people. It's not um, equipment or weaponry. And I think that is perhaps, that starts with the sea change. And that certainly is very much reflected and pronounced in the people strategy and then that the implementing plans that have, we like to say, been cascading down from the people strategy over the past year. Likewise, the installation strategy will provides a holistic approach on investment and use of all of the facilities on uh, any given base with the idea that the number one focus of investment and of management should be starts with the people on the base. I think that is a sea change, a cultural change that I think will then permeate through um, in the areas such as housing so that the customer are the people and not providing uh, things detached from that so that um, technology innovation, we've really pushed uh, things like the uh, work order uh, app. That's just one example so that when things are not right in a, in a resident's home, um, They're tied into the app. They can report it immediately, and it gets uh, registered and responded to. And things, of course, involving um, life, uh, health, and safety are top priority in that regard. Um, There is the staffing that has been greatly um, increased, both by the private companies 
um, involving in their housing management as well as the overseeing um, army housing offices to make sure that complaints are handled that uh, in a timely and effective fashion that residents understand who they can call to get support or who they can communicate with to understand their roles and responsibilities as well as their, if you will, bill of rights, a greater emphasis on inspection on to the extent that we're going to be building uh, new housing or significantly renovating new housing that it is built toward quality, not just to code. And all of that, as I say, goes back to the focus on people, the soldiers, and the family, because we know if the soldier is worried about, you know, the housing or some aspect of the family or um, child care, that is a distraction um, that is really unnecessary that should be corrected so that the soldier can focus as much as possible on the mission facing that soldier. What's the role of technology when it comes to this installation plan? You mention in the strategy things like smart cities, smart grids, all those sorts of interesting and exciting new 21st century types of innovations. What is the plan for those and how might they be integrated within military bases? Hopefully very smoothly, at least from a uh, an outlook standpoint. Of course, the devils are in the details. Uh, the use of technology uh, may vary tremendously from installation to installation, depending on uh, what that installation's uh, mission capabilities might be. However, there certainly is going to be a fundamental need um, and uh, and we're certainly going to push for the type of technical uh, in innovation that I'll say is, is non-tactical related, in other words, sort of basic uh, commercial stuff. One, one example are autonomous uh, vehicles that are, are self-driving. There's, there's an example that was an experiment that was tried for several months successfully at, uh, in our general neighborhood here, Fort Myer Henderson Hall, where, um, as I say, vehicles could shuttle people around uh, without the added expense of individual drivers, plus they would be able to keep on a very uh, well-defined and well-publicized schedule. Currently, there's another one being tried out at Fort Carson. Um, you have a, um, an operational tool that is currently being employed by Fort Benning, who, by the way, prides themselves on attempting to lead as uh, the installation of the future, uh, trying to incorporate things now as best as possible. And, of course, we welcome that. An uh, installation operations tool basically helps with figuring out where maintenance 
or replacement of uh, critical assets, physical uh, facility assets, uh, might be needed in advance of them failing so that you could do appropriate preventive maintenance or replacement accordingly. Um, but we want to promote the use of, of smart city models as much as possible. As you can imagine, many of our larger bases, installations, starting with Fort Bragg, which is the largest, are really cities uh, unto themselves. And then you add the surrounding communities that sort of magnify the nature of I'll call this uh, metropolis. And so the more that we can effectively engage in those large areas of populations with the surrounding community in smart technologies using, you know, whether it's sensors or um, biokinetic uh, processes for, for instance, for uh, access entry points in and out of the installations, the more effective we're going to be. Um, we also uh, have a, a, you know, access to wonderful program of ESTCP and CERTUP. These are programs that are run out of the Office of Secretary of Defense, but they are geared to be, to do some basic R&D as well as testbed certification out at installations to try new technologies that are addressing a concern that um, the one or more of the services might have. And there's a technical working committee where each of the services is represented and can supply uh, shall we say, statement of needs that the OSD folks at ESTCP and CERTIP will incorporate or will select. And that is a great way of getting uh, technology from the private sector applied and to see how effective it is. And, of course, if it's shown to be effective, then the military and, of course, the Army in the lead can be one of the major commercial customers of that new uh, technology. Alex Beeler is the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Installations, Energy, and Environment. He talked with my colleague Scott Massioni about the Army's new installations strategy. More details on that plan and the document itself are at federalnewsnetwork.com. Earlier in the hour, we talked with leaders at the Navy's Program Executive Office for Digital and Enterprise Services about the Navy's brand-new cloud computing policy. If you missed that conversation, we'll post this week's full program, as always, at federalnewsnetwork.com slash on DOD. Also find us in podcast form. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. That's it for this week's edition of On DOD. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I'm Jerry Serbi. So long. You've been listening to On DOD on Federal News Network. Tune in Wednesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.